part one chapter ten of saunterings in and about london by max slesinger this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten hyde park pilgrimage to the far west oxford street hyde park in the season rotten row the duke and the queen the front of the crystal palace dr keif enters makes a speech on british loyalty and exit the iron shutters of apsley house the british general and the rioters hitherto our excursions have been confined to the east but now we propose leaving russell and bedford squares and the british museum to the right and covent garden and all its theatres to the left to direct our pilgrimage through oxford street to the west oxford street holds the medium between the city streets and the west end streets its public is mixed goods wagons and private carriages omnibuses and men and women on horseback men of business fashionable loungers and curious strangers are mixed up shops of all sorts from the most elegant draper's shops down to the lowest oyster stall may be found in it and there are moreover legions of costermongers and shoals of advertising vans oxford street is long and broad enough to take in the population of a small town it changes its character several times according to the greater or less elegance of the quarter through which it runs after we have walked a good half hour in a straight line and in the present instance we have walked very fast looking neither to the right nor to the left we reach a part where the row of houses on the left side terminates and hyde park commences here there is a high arch of white marble which everybody admires and a small stone which no one notices because it stands near the pump from which the cabmen fetch water for their horses an inscription on this stone tells us that here is the site of the famous tyburn turnpike the arch a curtailed imitation of the triumphal arch of constantine cost george the fourth sixty thousand pounds and stood in front of buckingham palace a few months ago it was removed to hyde park where it now stands in all its marble glory does it perform the functions of a gate no because there is no wall is it a triumphal arch perhaps so to commemorate the bad taste of its founder at all events it promotes the interests of unity for on the opposite side of hyde park there has been these many years past a similar gate which opens away through nothing and there is a triumphal arch in the face of it which trumpets forth the good taste of punch whose paternal exhortations could not prevent the duke of wellington from being placed on that perilous height the english are in many respects like our own good honest peasants so long as the latter keep to their ploughs they are most amiable and respectable but if you find them in town and induce them to put on fashionable clothes you may rely on it that thus affected they will give you plenty of kicks let an englishman make a park and his production will be admirable but if you wish for an entrance into a park you had better not apply to him fortunately hyde park is much larger than its two splendid portals there is plenty of room to lose them from your sight and there are a great many agreeable scenes which will banish them from your memory 
passing through the marble arch to those regions where the exhibition building stands we cross a meadow large enough to induce us to believe that we are far away from london in the west the ground rises in gentle hills with picturesque groups of trees on their summits and in the valleys here and there an old tufted oak with its gnarled branches boldly stretched out the grass is fresh and green though all the passengers walk on it it is green up to the very trunks of the trees whose shade is generally injurious to vegetation it is green throughout the winter and through the summer months though there is not a drop of rain for many weeks for the mild and moist atmosphere nourishes it and favours the growth of ivy which clusters round any tree too old to resist its approaches thus does hyde park extend far to the west and the south until it finds its limits in bricks and mortar a slight blue mist hangs on the distant trees and through the mist down in the south there are church towers looming in the far distance like the battlements of turreted castles in the midst of romantic forests the trees recede a small lake comes in view it is an artificial extension of the serpentine which has the honour of seeing the elegance of london riding and driving on its banks early in the morning the lake is plebeian the children of the neighbourhood swim their boats on it apprentices on their way to work make desperate casts for some half-starved gudgeon the ducks come forward in dirty morning wrappers nursery-maids with babies innumerable take walks by order and at a very early hour a great many plebeians have the impertinence to bathe in the little lake but to-day the park and the river are in true aristocratic splendour here and there there is indeed some stray nursery-maid walking on the grass and some little tub of a boat with a ragged sail floating on the lake there is also a group of anglers demonstrating to one another with great patience that the fish won't bite to-day but all along the banks of the river far down to the end of the park and up to the majestic shades of kensington gardens there is an interminable throng of horses and carriages those who have seen the praetor of vienna in the first weeks of may will be rather disappointed with the aspect of the drive in hyde park where the upper classes of london congregate in the evening between five and seven o'clock partly to take the air and partly because it is considered fashionable to see now and then in order to be seen extravagant turnouts and liveries such as the viennese produce with great ostentation are not to be found in london the english aristocracy like to make an impression by the simplicity and solidity of their appearance and the metropolis is the last of all places where they would wish to excite attention by a dashing and extravagant exterior they have not the least desire either to dazzle or to awe the tradespeople or to make them envious they are too sure of their position to be tempted to advertise it whoever wants this assurance cannot pretend to belong to the aristocracy by far more interesting and indeed unrivalled is rotten row the long broad road for horsemen where on fine summer evenings all the youth beauty celebrity and wealth of london may be seen on horseback hundreds of equestrians ladies and gentlemen gallop to and fro how fresh and rosy these english girls are 
how firmly they sit what splendid forms and expressive features free fresh bold and natural the blue veil flutters and so does the riding habit a word to the horse and movement of the bridle and they gallop on nodding to friends to the right and left the happiness of youth expressed in face and form and no idea no thought for the thousand sorrows of this earth a man of a harmless and merry mind may pass a happy summer's evening in looking at this the most splendid of all female cavalcades but he who has become conscious of those all-pervading sufferings of humanity which felt through thousands of years denied through thousands of years and asserted only within the last few years by the millions of our earth he who has pressed this thorny knowledge of the world to his heart let him avoid this spot of happiness breathing splendour lest the thorns wound him more severely still then comes an old man with his horse walking at a slow pace his low hat pushed back that the white hair on his temples may have the benefit of the breeze his head bent forward the bridle dangling in a hand weak with age the splendour of the eyes half dimmed his cheeks sunken wrinkles round his mouth and on his forehead his aquiline nose bony and protruding who does not know him his horse walks gently on the sand every one takes off his hat the young horsewomen get out of his way and the duke smiles to the right and to the left few persons can boast of so happy a youth as this old man's age he turns round the corner the long broad row becomes still more crowded large groups of ten or twenty move up and down fast riding is quite out of the question when all of a sudden a couple come forward at a quick pace there is room for them and their horses in the midst of rotten row however full it may be for every one is eager to make way for them it is the queen and her husband without martial pomp and splendour without a single naked sword within sight the crowd closes in behind her the young women appear excited the old men smile with great glee at seeing their queen in such good health dandies in marvellous trousers incredible waistcoats and stunning ties put up their glasses the anglers on the lake crowd to one side in order to see the queen the nursery-maids the babies and the boys with their hoops come up to the railings the grass plots where just now large groups of people sat chatting are left vacant and the shades of the evening are over the park the sun is going down behind the trees its parting rays rest on the crystal palace with a purple and golden glare whose reflection falls on rotten row and its horsemen in a very short time this spot will be empty but all hail to thee colossus of glass thou most moral production of these latter days iron-ribbed many-eyed with thy many-coloured flags which would make believe that all the nations are united by the bonds of brotherhood and that peace universal peace shall henceforth reign among the sons of men the flags flutter gaily through the cool of the evening there the prussian colours are all but entwined with those of austria 
here the papal states touch upon sardinia and down there o sancta simplicitas the russian eagle stretches his wings and flutters as if impelled by a desire to fraternize with the stars and stripes of north america our enthusiasm is cooled down by a loud laugh and a shrill voice which hails us from a distance it is dr keif who indulges and not for the first time either in the questionable amusement of mimicking the mode and manner of speech of a distinguished member of the great sclavonian family by saint nicholas says the doctor why you chop-fallen look out look you at flags silly to find colours your own black red gold blockheads croat his brother likewise and czech himself speaks quite good german ours when likes and emperor permits magyar have shall german blows and italian likewise piff paff shot through heart by command german is now everything good german all welchland poland and serbonia likewise as they would at frankfurt have it capital times these but my dear doctor you are in capital spirits to-night some intrigue eh indeed you look quite smart green coat waistcoat and cravat and dirty boots why you are dressed after the image of a russian cavalier did you happen to see the queen and has that sight made you very loyal a truce to all logic cried the doctor and don't make any bad jokes about the queen if you love me i respect her on my soul i do but since you will talk of the queen i will tell you of the first day of may the day her majesty opened this place you must have read when it once became known that the lady victoria in her own little person intended to open that great exhibition that a rush was made on the season tickets expensive though they were the wicked on the continent smiled at this pedantic antiquated and unseasonable loyalty of the british people these were the very words that the miscreants printed in their papers i trust they won't do so again and i protest against such language i am free to confess there is much childish harmlessness and practical calculation in this same loyalty but if it were innate in the english as some ninnies have had the simplicity to believe if it were a gift of nature such as fine eyes or a humped back or a free native country then i say it would be void of all moral meaning but it is not the result of thoughtless stupidity for the anglo-saxon race is not by any means a race of idiots and the history of england shows that this british loyalty is not the creature of habit and education nor is it perpetuated by climatic causes as cretinism is in styria english loyalty is the expression of conscious respect for the principles of monarchy when worthily represented queen victoria has neither the energy of catherine of russia nor has she the genius of maria theresa but in her principles of government she has always been just to the voice of the majority she is a constitutional queen such as the queen of england should be let no man tell me that she must be so so that she cannot be otherwise even if she would 
she cannot indeed send her ministers and the members of the opposition to botany bay nor can she stifle the radical press or overthrow the constitution as others did in other places but a queen who may select her ministers dissolve the parliament and create peers has a deal of power to do evil english royalty is not altogether such a farce as the germans generally believe that queen victoria uses her power for good is her merit and because she does so hers is the most fortunate head of all the heads whom fate has burdened with a golden crown she is worshipped adored and idolized by millions who think it the greatest happiness to look at her face i wish you had been there on that memorable first of may i wish you had seen this park and the people and well-dressed people too thronging rotten row to see the queen go by the park was literally black with them you saw nothing but heads to the very tree-tops they risked their lives for the queen for all the world as if they were the most accomplished of courtiers the whole of the public were mad excepting myself and her majesty my dear doctor what a splendid opportunity for you to make a revolutionary speech to so large an assembly yes indeed said the doctor a capital opening for a martyr to the cause how quickly the populace would have torn me to pieces but in sober seriousness i am not the man i used to be on this island you doff the revolutionary garment as snakes do their enamelled skin when fresh from germany i was red and shaggy as esau of old for on the other side of the channel affairs were really too lamentable and disgraceful but after my first four weeks among these smooth shaved and really constitutionally governed barbarians i too became smooth and mannerly as jacob the patriarch another year will make me a constitutional monarchist and a score of years or so will convert me into the absolutist of montalembert's stamp isn't it disgusting this impertinently carefully observed constitution of the english tears my republican toga into shreds as day follows day only think continued the doctor of addressing revolutionary observations to these contented englishmen it's the most insane idea that i ever heard of are revolutions to be stamped out of the soil can they thrive without sunlight and rain without provocation from the higher regions the mob of our stamp have never yet made a revolution kings make them of course they know not what they do there is no stopping the doctor when he once begins to speak in his conversations with his german friends he is eloquent on the merits of england but at sir john's tea-table he fights tooth and nail for his beloved germany quite a psychological phenomenon which may be observed in the majority of the better class of german residents in england we walk slowly forward and leave the park by the gate at hyde park corner the roads are now empty for wealth and fashion have gone home to their dinners and the hackney coaches and omnibuses are not permitted to enter the sacred precincts enormous crowds of these excluded plebeian vehicles are collected at the gate and move about wildly to the manifest danger of all who wish to cross the road and high above the tumultuous movement 
and the crowd stands the equestrian statue of the duke of wellington almost opposite to apsley house in which the great warrior lived at the time this chapter was penned by the author it has rarely been the lot of man so frequently to witness his own apotheosis as the duke of wellington and yet how gloomy looks apsley house on the fresh green borders of the park the windows shut up from year's end to year's end and protected by bullet-proof shutters of massive iron the very railings in front of the house boarded up to exclude the curiosity of the passers-by all owing to the riots which preceded the passing of the reform bill riots in which the castles of the tories were burnt down in the provinces while in the metropolis the populace threatened the life of the greatest captain of the age of course the reform bill would have been passed even without riots and incendiarism but it is not fair in englishmen utterly to forget the bloody scenes which even in late years have been enacting in their own country while anything like a riot on the continent induces them to protest that those people are not fit for liberty nor is it fair in a large party on the continent who are always referring to the moderation and good sense of englishmen utterly to forget the scenes of blood and destruction which ushered in the reform bill but what did a british government do in those days of passion and terror did they at once declare that the british people were unfit for liberal institutions merely because the violence of the catastrophe gave a temporary ascendancy to a couple of thousands of hot-headed madcaps did they proclaim the state of siege did they fetter the press did they invade and search the houses of the citizens were englishmen tried by courts-martial were punishments inflicted for political opinions and thoughts did malice go hand in hand with the administration of justice nothing of the kind the incendiaries were arrested wherever they could be caught but no one on either side of the channel ever thought of saying that the british nation was not ripe for freedom and what was the duke of wellington's conduct when the mob assailed apsley house a continental general would have run away or he would have led an army against the rioters the duke barricaded his house to the best of his ability the old soldier stood up to defend his house and his person he the field-marshal of all european countries the warden of the cinque ports the commander-in-chief of the british army he did not issue his orders for the drums to beat and his soldiers did not fire upon the misguided populace but when the storm was over he had bullet-proof shutters made to his windows and those shutters he kept closed that the people should never forget their brutal attack upon the old lion well done man of waterloo he has since risen in the estimation of the public but as i said before most englishmen in judging of the affairs of the continent give not one passing thought to the bullet-proof shutters of apsley house End of chapter 10